I started using Pillar Performance about a month ago. And as a skeptic of just about every supplement on the market, I was so impressed by their triple magnesium and the benefits I felt from it, particularly with my sleep and recovery, that I reached out to them to try more of their stuff. And once again, for someone who never uses supplements, I was such a fan. And because of that faith I have in the products from using them and the benefit I truly believe people will get from using them, I'm happy to announce that this episode of How They Train is brought to you by Pillar Performance. Leaders in sports micronutrition, Pillar are changing the way micros are viewed when it comes to optimal performance. High strength and informed sports certified, Pillar's range supports optimal recovery, elevates energy, boosts immunity, and relieves inflammation. Head to pillarperformance.shop to learn more. And while you're there, use my code HTT10, which gets you $10 off your first order. That's code HTT10, which gets you $10 off your first order. And it supports the show. So it's a win-win. Welcome back to How They Train. I'm Jack Kelly, and today I'm joined by, in my opinion, one of the best three female triathletes alive right now, Taylor Nib. Taylor came third at last year's Ironman 70.3 World Champs, won the Collins Cup, and won two WTCS races in Yokohama and Edmonton. And on the weekend, she came second at the PTO US Open. When I'm thinking about complete triathletes and who the best pure triathlete is, I always ask myself, who would win a race if triathlon was an individual time trial? And I honestly think no one in the world would beat Taylor over the 70.3 distance if that was the case. And I think she'd probably be top three over both of the shorter distances as well. And so with that being said, I'm excited to pick her brain and find out what training she does to be so good. Taylor, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Hey, uh, let's talk firstly about like the thing I find so interesting with you is how you're balancing doing middle distance triathlon and short course triathlon and managing to do both so well, like you are without a doubt, like I've said in the intro, one of the best in the world across three different distances in triathlon. Um, how does your training work? Like, how do you how do you train to be so good so that you can be competitive at like you know winning the Collins Cup or coming second at the at the U.S. Open on the weekend, but then also winning WTCS races? Well, I think that um, I it's well that would actually probably be a better question for my coach but i tend to do better with a bit more volume and kind of um i guess his term is like push the threshold up versus pull it the higher intensity stuff like the very high end stuff drains me a lot more so i'll do a lot of work at like threshold or sub threshold depending on what someone's definition of threshold is and so um but actually i don't really have i just kind of like follow the walk aims it's not really a specific zone or anything um and so that's just what works for me but I'm hoping maybe at some point to go even longer but we'll see yeah okay this is interesting then so um because like I reckon there's been a bit of a shift to this style of training um like lately in triathlon where you know you're not quite doing as much really intense stuff but a lot of you know stuff like you talked about sub threshold stuff that that sort of Ironman 70.3 pace stuff. Um, so with your typical training week, no matter what you're training for, like let's say you're training to to try and win a, you know, a short course, like a, a, like a um, sprint distance triathlon, or say you're trying to win like the US Open, which is pretty much a 70.3 distance race. Does your training look exactly the same? Well, no, that's an easy no, because <laughs> no training week looks exactly the same. No training day looks exactly the same. We, we do follow um, like a weekly program just because of pool time. And so we have Mondays and Fridays of recovery days. And then every other day has at least some quality in it. Um, the swims are very, the swims don't change based on what I'm training for. It just depends on where we are within our block. Um, the run probably changes the most based on what type of race I'm training for. Like if I have a 70.3 coming up, I might do a longer effort, but then with like shorter stuff, it's short, like it's, it's more that kind of pace specific, but then for the bike, I kind of, I touch a lot of different power ranges within each workout. My, our, our workouts are fairly um, substantial and fairly, they have a lot of different components. 
Yeah, well, your bike is something I want to talk about. Like, that's probably the thing I'm most interested with about you because I don't think there's a better female like triathlete right now alive um, than you on the bike. So, and that's across all distances. Like, I actually reckon you could probably you know, give yourself a year and you're probably the only person alive, maybe Lucy Charles aside, who could, who could go and give Daniela uh, a run for her money on an Ironman bike course. That's how, that's how highly I think of you there. So what does it like, I know you said that, that no day or session or week looks the same, but if I could get you to, what does like a typical bike week look like knowing that there is obviously differences week to week? Yeah. So like our standard riding, I'll ride probably five to seven times a week. And that's just because, so my Mondays and Fridays, I get to choose what I want to do. Um, well, they're, so they're, they're choice recovery days, but the caveat is the swim is mandatory. So um, <laughs> they don't really feel like it's choice. Cause I'm like, well, I have to swim, <laughs> but, and, and actually if, if you didn't, if you needed the full day off, you could take the full day off. So it's not really mandatory, but it's highly suggested we'll say. And so sometimes I'll ride on those days. Sometimes I won't, it just kind of depends on, if I want to run, if I don't want to run or like how I'm feeling. But then the other days, our quality ride days are normally Thursdays and Sundays. And then I have like a pretty good aerobic ride on Wednesday as well. And then Tuesday and Saturday, they're just kind of like flush rides, maybe 70 to 80 minutes and just kind of easy. And then with those sessions, um, the Thursday and Sunday bike sessions, like how much volume are, are we talking? Are they massive sessions or um, like, you know, how long are the rides? Um, and then like, are the sessions the same kind of thing? Like, are they like what you talked about where they're sort of thresholdy kind of efforts or do you ever go a little bit faster and do some like VO2 max stuff? Well, yeah, take me inside what those those workouts look like. Oh, well, those workouts, it really depends week to week what we have. And um, so they'll range like some weeks they're as like short as like two and a half hours is normally when we're on the trainer. Like I've had up to in like this summer, I've had up to like four and a half hours um, in some, but, and it, and so then the intervals within it, it really depends. And even within a ride, you might have like a few different blocks of different things. So it looks like you have literally like four workouts within a workout. Um, or sometimes it's just something as simple as like three times 30 minutes at just a little under threshold. Like, so they really kind of range, but, and it, it just depends on where I am and kind of how they'll feel. I guess like the, probably the side of triathlon I'm more interested these days is like 70.3. For some reason, it's just the distance I love at the moment. So it's what I love talking about. Um, so like say you're training leading into the 70.3 world champs last year where you came third um, or, or on the weekend leading into the, the US Open where you came second or, or even last year where you won the Collins Cup. Leading into races of that distance, um, can you think of any like specific or like particular bike workouts that, that you've done that you really enjoyed or that you thought like were really good to, to sort of um, hone in on, on your ride for that distance? Because I think that's the distance where you showcase just how strong a cyclist you are. Well, yeah. So actually, um, I so for the Collins Cup and 70.3 Worlds, I really didn't have any specific work for that. Um, my longest ride over two hours that hadn't been within a race. Well, actually, Collins Cup wasn't too. So before 70.3 Worlds, I think I maybe had one ride over two hours between July 15th or so, which was my last quality ride before Tokyo and 70.3 Worlds. So <laughs> that's that's kind of a long time to hold um, fitness. And I was kind of, I was really petering off by the end of that. So that ride felt long, but then this year for Dallas and then also Oceanside, I actually got to do kind of prep rides. And I think, I think this is before Oceanside, it was 13 days out from it. I had a, I had had a big week and there was a ride and normally my intervals are prescribed in like duration. So minutes, um, but this ride the intervals were described prescribed in distance and I hadn't ridden some of these roads before I I live in Boulder and I have my roots and I rarely stray from them and so it was like there were five intervals in the workout and they were like about 10 kilometer like stretches of interval but so I'm like I'm expecting like oh like well it is on a climb so maybe like 20 minutes 
Um, it was a lot more than 20 minutes. And um, the, by the third one, which the third one took me about 36 minutes because I didn't realize how much climbing there would be in that. I, I got to the top and I like just started crying and I wasn't sad. And I, my coach was there and I'm just like, just give me two minutes. I don't know why I'm crying. I just need a little space. Um, and then like after probably five minutes, I, I had refueled, I got back on my bike, I descended and then I did the last two reps. So I don't know if that interval gave me confidence in the moment, but then I was able to do that workout again in June and I did it a lot better. So it's kind of, I guess, learning from your mistakes would be better framing. And regardless of how I execute one workout, I don't normally get to do them again, but taking what I can learning, even if I mess up, how I can bring that to execute better the next time. So like something I'm curious about here uh, is like, you're so good on the bike, but you know, to hear you say that, that you'd only done, you know, like uh, in a couple of months, like, uh, you hadn't really like in a month or so you hadn't done a, any rides over two hours really like most people would hear that and think oh that's like insane particularly long course athletes like they would never really let themselves go a week without doing a ride you know three to four hours do you think it's like do you think it's the quality in your bike riding that you do like inside your training is it that you do so much intensity and like you're always doing sessions like you said that in pretty much every ride you do there's some form of quality um, do you think that's what makes you so good or is it, is it just a natural thing? I think it's a mix of things, but back to like that time before 70.3 worlds where I didn't do a very long ride. That's cause I raced six times in 32 days. <laughs> I had the Olympics, the mixed team relay, two WTS races, Boulder 70.3 and the Collins cup. And so within that stretch, there was so much travel. I was racing every weekend. So I was getting a very high intensity effort. Um, and the priority was just recovering. So I didn't, and we were in quarantine in Canada for the races. So it just made it difficult to do that. And it was just based on the circumstances of the year and the race schedule that I happened to do after the Olympics. But heading into the Olympics, I had had a tremendous block of training. So probably since like, probably like for the past like 10 months, I had had super solid training. So like, and after 7.3 worlds, I was kind of a wreck. So I wouldn't recommend that to anyone. Like that's not what you should do. But if it, if for any extenuating circumstance, your body sometimes can do more than you're, you think it can. So there might not be, I don't think there's ever a perfect lead up to a race though. So you kind of get what you can and deal with the cards you're dealt. So with you, because you like, like short course athletes, they just race so much, like you said. So sometimes your training is a little inconsistent and you don't get these like big block like big targeted blocks that say like someone training for the Ironman world championships might do where they don't race in you know eight to ten weeks or they do 170.3 inside that um, just to see where they're at and to get a bit of confidence whereas you short course guys like you said you do some crazy stuff particularly now where there's like so much money in going and doing PTO races and, and some longer distance triathlons. So you're like, oh, I want to squeeze that in as well. And, and, you know, there's so many like alluring races for you. So how do you, how do you like find that balance between getting big enough blocks in that you're, you know, ready to win a big race versus just sort of always like going through the motions and like racing so much that you can't really progress your fitness to win that one big race? Well, I think that's, I feel like I still haven't won that one big race. So um, I'm probably not the one to give this um, advice. So I'm not sure if you want me to answer that question. I reckon the Collins Cup, winning the Collins Cup, although it's not like a 70.3 Worlds or an Olympics or anything like that. If you win the Collins Cup, that might be the biggest win of like most triathletes career. So doesn't that say like just a little bit about how good you are and where your mindset's at? Well, thank you. Okay, I'll... I'll take the question then. Um, so <laughs> I guess like, I think I'm still learning that. And so I'm probably still working on finding that balance, but um, I probably stray on the side of pushing the envelope a bit too much. So uh, having a race in there can probably help me have consistency over the course of the season because it'll be forced rest and both going into and out of it versus um, like somehow like, I love doing the work and so, but like the work really doesn't matter unless you number one, get to the start line and number two race well. So it's kind of finding that balance of what works for each individual person. Um, 
and how also how quickly they can recover from a race and what it takes out of them. So I'm 24. What works for me now probably won't work for me in a few years and definitely won't work for me in a decade or two. And then like if we can uh, if we can shift a little bit, I want to like get a bit of an idea of your training like overall. Um, because yeah, you are so strong across all three disciplines. Like your bike obviously stands out to me as being crazy. Like what you did at like say Yokohama last year, the way you just rode away from, you know, the, like the best female triathletes on planet earth, but like, it just looked so, it was just, it was like one of the most crazy performances I've ever seen. And, and now we see you doing it over middle distance triathlon as well, but you're also just like such a phenomenal swimmer like not many people can sit on lucy charles feet for for a race like the the us open on the weekend and and not many people can run the way you do over over multiple distances so like just to give me like you sort of ran down what your bike week looks like a little bit earlier what does your whole week look like like for example even if it does change what was like a uh, like a, a, a week that you did in the lead up to the US Open? Like how many hours is it overall? And and how do the other sessions fit in with, with those bike days that you talked about? Yeah, so um, well, I think the PTO race was probably a bit unique in the lead up because I only started running again probably 28 days out of the race and I hadn't run for 11 weeks. Um, I had a little injury. And so like this summer, I was able to put in a lot more volume and I had probably like during the time that I was unable to run, it was really consistent training of swimming and biking. And then like when I was able to start running again, it actually, it came, like I was, I was bummed about this weekend because I think it was just more overheating than anything. Um, and I was really excited to kind of see where my run is because I've only been allowed to run easy so far. Um, but it's. I think the like the three weeks leading up in like not the race week, but the three weeks I had been um about 30 hours, a little more. And then, but that's kind of a lot for me. Um, so that was kind of I was I was kind of shocked at how much I was doing, but it just it it felt it fit with the progression. 30 hours is like a lot. But it's like this funny thing that that I'm finding out, and I think I've always knew, known a little bit, is that people who are training for for like the olympics or to win short course like wtcs races they seem to train like higher volume than people trying to win 70.3 races um which like seems a little bit um unintuitive but but it seems to be the case like are your even though those 30 hour weeks were big weeks for you are you routinely doing like high 20 hour weeks for example probably yes definitely when i'm not like the tough thing is that like, so then if we, if I travel to a race that probably like, yes, non-race weeks. Yeah. I, I, I tend to, like, I don't think of myself as training a ton, but I probably do. I mean, this is my, this is what I do all the time. And so I'm able to probably do a little bit more than I would otherwise. And when you are like not injured and, and running, like your training, your run training is going well, what does a typical um, week in, in the life of your run training look like? Yeah. So we have our quality runs on Tuesday and Saturday mornings. And those tend to be um, like our quality runs tend to be our longer runs that we do as well. And then I'll just have like an easy run on Thursday, an endurance run on Wednesday, an easy run on Sunday, and then optional runs on Monday and Friday. But that it, it depends on the week. Yeah. And what would some of those sessions look like? Like what would those Tuesday and Saturday quality runs look like? Ooh, that depends on the week. <laughs> on Tuesday, we're normally at the track. And so that really varies. But my coach, like we will we'll, we'll tend to do like similar workouts. Like I, there are workouts that I always know will be coming up sometime, um, but they range a lot. And then on the weekend where it's normally like tempo fartlek-esque, and so those are those tend to be a little bit longer than Tuesdays. With the with the Tuesday tracks um, sessions, like how short are we are we talking? Your efforts might get like are you ever doing like two hundreds fast or and then on the other side are you ever doing like one k's or or longer efforts on the track? How how much variance is there there? Oh well, yes, there def there's definitely a lot of variance. Um, we I don't tend to do a lot of two hundreds, but I don't know if they will be coming um i do some 400 like 400s every once in a while but um 
then we do a lot of one Ks and even two Ks. Yeah. Like what, what might like if you, if you um, were training say for 70.3 worlds and your run was going well, or, or even for like the Olympics and your run was going well, what, what are some examples of like those Tuesday track sessions that you have done in the past? Oh, well, like a standard one is just like 10 by one K like really <laughs> just <laughs> kind of, kind of bland. We actually, we don't do something like that very often, but, um, and those are the fun ones because my coach prefers more of like a, like loading up workout. And so we'll have a lot of pace change within the workout. Um, and so even when it is whatever pace, like, yes, there's a time and a place for us to be like, just sitting in a pace that we might race in but then he likes a lot more pace variation. So you might do like over unders of a certain pace and then like just tolerating that little shifting gear and settling and dealing with that. Cause we are at altitude. Um, it's not super high altitude. I'm learning that that's a thing, but we are at about 16 or 1700 meters depending on the track. So it does just have an impact. Yeah. And then if you could compare that to your Saturday sessions, they're, they're not on the track. Like where would you be doing your, your longer intervals, um, on the, on the Saturdays? Oh, so in Boulder, we tend to go to Davidson Mesa, which is a lovely place. And it's like, you just, it's kind of very raw. Um, I have a very much a love hate relationship with that place because you kind of know if you can feel good running there, or at least that's what I've found. If I can feel good running there, it's like, wow, this is good <laughs> for the run. Um, because it's just like, it's, we do a lot of loops and, but it's all gravel and it's just really nice. Is it, is it hilly as well as being gravel or is it like pretty flat? It's pretty flat if you like, just look at it, but I can tell you every single change in gradient. And if we're going to do certain intervals, how I would like to position them in terms of the direction we're going. So then I can set myself up to not <laughs> hit certain places at certain times um, because there is a little bit of change in gradient. And then like, if your track sessions are like, they're like pretty long intervals on the track for a lot of people. Like if you um, talk to most runners, like a lot of runners wouldn't go on the track for, um, for quite such long intervals, but like a lot of triathletes do I've noticed. Um, but then you said they're so, sort of short compared to your Saturday intervals. So what do your Saturday intervals look like? Are they, are they those kind of intervals where, you know, you might be doing five minute, three minute, 10 minute efforts or, or yeah. How do they look? No Saturday. Like we might get a workout more like 4k, 3k, 2k, 1k. Yeah. Um, and then with maybe even some Hills after that. Um, and so that is more like we will touch down to 10k or 5k pace, which is kind of tough at altitude at the place that we are, but um, it is triathlon 10k to 5k pace. It's not open 10k and 5k pace. So we'll take that. Um, and it's also, it's very effort-based because it does get windy here. So it's just kind of, but those, those sessions vary and I haven't really done one of those in a while. Um, so I miss them. And then you said that like you would probably do a fair bit of volume in that session. Like that session would end up being quite a long run. How long are we talking? Like, um, for example, how long would the overall run be typically on a Saturday? And then how much of that would actually be at, at sort of intensity, you know, half marathon or faster pace? Oh, well, that varies. Cause I'd, I'd say like, it's probably 16 to 24 K, which is a big difference um, of like volume, what we have. And then um, it's probably eight to 12 plus K worth of work. Um, I had, I had one workout before Oceanside that it was probably, it was, it was a, it was a good, like solid hour of work. Um, and so that's a lot more volume, but that's like a one-off kind of session. And that was 10 days out of Oceanside specifically for that purpose. So again, like it's kind of, we have our like bread and butter, butter staplers and we like, we don't really vary too much, but each week is a little bit different based on what we've done and what we have coming up and also balancing with the other sports that we do because we are triathletes. And so, um, if we're in more of a bike focus or swim focus, our run might not be the same, but at the same time, then if our runs a little higher, we might not be swimming or biking the same amount of volume or intensity. 
And like with this, um, I sort of get the vibe that this might be no, but do you ever do any like big brick sessions where you're doing like hard rides into to hard runs? You sort of haven't, it doesn't look like that when you lay out your week, but but are you ever doing that leading into races or or in like big pre-season blocks like that good 10 weeks you had, say pre the, the big race block last year, for example? Well, so I would say for me, I'm not a huge fan of the bricks. Um, our group will sometimes do them and I might not partake in them. I might have a different session. Last year before leading into Tokyo, like in the summer, we did a lot of swim bike bricks. Um, and so we'd have our quality swim on Wednesday and then we'd ride um, right off of that. And it just kind of, it drained me a bit too much for what both the swim and the bike were. And so I'm not sure, like maybe, maybe I need to bring it back. Maybe that's like showing, but like, I think the, like the bread and butter of the training program is the kind of like the compilation of the work and how it fits all together. Um, not necessarily like, it's not like I would do one session and feel entirely confident. It's kind of weeks and months and even years of work that I would draw my confidence from. And then we um, we talked about that that like Saturday session. It's all like that is a long run, really sixteen and like k at at like a minimum up to twenty four k. Like that's that's a long run, particularly for someone racing the distances you are. But do you on your like you said the other one run, like long run you do was on a Wednesday. Does that ever get up to being like a full blown long run as well, or is it a bit shorter? And and your Saturday session t- typically is like your longest run of the week. Oh no, Wednesday is not a long run. Um, our long runs are within our sessions. So those would be like our Tuesday track sessions are probably between 14 and 18 K and then the Saturday are probably 16 to 24 K depending on the week. So, um, those are the two longer runs. And then I'll probably only run like 45 minutes to an hour on Wednesday. So do you think like, have you ever had a period in your training where you've just done a typical long run where you, where you go out and you run for like two hours and it's just easy and it's like through the trails or has it always been the case that, that you sort of do your, your volume in your sessions? Well, so actually I, I love the long run. Um, I, so I, I ran in college and when I joined the team, it was like, that was what you did. And my long run was 90 minutes at the time. And it was my favorite session of the week. Um, but I don't think I was mature enough yet for the long run. And I think just based on how I would run it, it, the, like my, so I had my run coach from college and my triathlon coach working together and I did not have a good sophomore year running wise. And my triathlon coach said, he's like, you know, I think we need to take out your long run for now. Um, you're just, you're, you're overcooking it a bit too much and we need to work on your speed and your workouts are suffering. And so you don't get it back for a little while. And it's like a timeout, like way to take away something you like. Um, but then that season, I, I, my run improved, like my, the fall of my junior year, that my run improved substantially and quite quickly. Um, and so at that point, I really, it was kind of like, well, I don't think I necessarily need it back. Um, but then it was added back into my schedule, my senior year of college and then, um, and I'm not sure it may have helped, may have not helped as much, but like, I think the, like the big thing is that for like, for with like within like the training that I do, I, I don't know if the long run does more harm than good. Um, just in terms of overall stress, because I like to, like, if, if you, I don't like to go super easy on it. Um, cause I just get, so I get into a rhythm and then I just feel good. And then I probably overcook it too much. Um, so my new coach, since our, it's, it probably doesn't fit within it, but I do get to do it probably like in December and January when we're just building back up. And then, um, with your, with your rides, just to go back and touch on this for a second, do you, when you do get like a chance to, to just have a training block, like I, I refer to that 10 week block that you said before went really well. Are you doing like a long ride every week in that as well? Or is that the same principle on your, on your, as you're running where all of your volume comes with your sessions? Well, yeah. So, um, well, our, our sessions become our long rides. And so it's really kind of this summer I did get it because, so I was probably doing, I was probably doing four to five long rides a week 
some of them were intensity. Some of them were just long aerobic rides because I wasn't really running as much. And so I could, and I was handling it well and improving still. So that's also, that's kind of the thing, like how, how's your body, all of training's an experiment. And that's why I love working with the coach that I work with because, um, we, he, like, we kind of will try some things. Cause like, you always have questions like what, how, like different ingredients, like you never know what's the perfect mix for a given athlete at a given time of their career. And so, um, like I don't get attached to any one session and think, but like I, and I trust his judgment. So yes, I sometimes get to do them, but I almost prefer having intervals within them. Um, I just tend to feel better. It's kind of ironic. Um, and then again, I don't tend to push the envelope as much. Cause like I stay within my watt range better. And like, I just, when I don't have intervals, like the aerobic end just gets a little high. So yeah, it's, it's raining me in. I need a leash. At most times. I'm super interested in this, particularly what you said about like maybe you were a little bit injured. So you were doing, or so you weren't running as much. So you were doing four to five long rides per week in that block. How much, how long were those like four to five long rides uh, per week? Like, what do you classify as a, as a ride being long? And like, what was your biggest week of riding that you did volume wise? Well, I, I don't know that on off the top of my head, but I was, I was consistently, um, yeah, I, 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 I definitely put in the most riding I've ever had in my life, um, especially outside. And so I was, I was definitely o- over 20 hours of riding for some weeks, at least, um, if not a fair number of the 11 that I was not running. And like, so what would that be? That would be like, I reckon if you were doing like 20 hours a week, it's probably like 550 to, to 700 K anywhere in there, isn't it? Like that's a lot to be doing for like 10 to 11 weeks. Yes. But, but the, yeah, uh, well, I wish to say it was fun and it was also, it was nice and it was like, it was, I think it was also more therapeutic for me. I mean, I wasn't getting to race and I kind of, I, I channel my frustration very healthy in a very healthy manner. Um, and just kind of like, I have a renewed sense of energy. I know it's not healthy, but, um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it was just, it like it was it felt very purposeful and i enjoyed it and i probably need a better coping mechanism but it was <laughs> prescribed and i'm a stronger cyclist as a result yeah well i guess like that's what i'm so fascinated in is like you just seem to be i i, I put you in the same category as like daniela reef it's the only person I, I sort of can with how much stronger you are on the bike than than the people around you like when you're racing on the weekend in at the US Open, like I think you rode like 156, didn't you? And pretty much everyone else rode like two hours or two hours and one minute type of thing, or everyone else who was who was up there competing. Like it just must be a crazy feeling to be that much stronger than everyone else on a ride like that. It sort of makes sense. Like you're doing a lot of riding and a lot of quality riding, but yeah, it's like it's quite crazy how much faster you are than everyone else over this middle distance uh, on the bike. Well, I, I don't know how to really answer that question. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you, I guess. It's just a compliment really, isn't it? But when you're out there racing, like is it, do you, I guess what I'm trying to, what I'm getting at is, do you just know how much faster you are than everyone else out there? And do you know how much stronger your bike is? And are you like really pushing the bike because of that? Or, and, and like, do you, do you know that, that like, how much better you are than everyone else over that distance. And is that a reason why you do so much riding? Cause you're like, well, uh, and so much quality riding in your training because you're like, well, this is where I'm going to win the race if I'm going to win it. Well, no, like the, the reason I did so much riding this summer was because I couldn't run and it was just an opportunity to have, that was actually probably the first, I would classify that as a bike focus block. And that's probably the first time in my triathlon career that I've ever been able to have a triathlon fo- or a bike focus block. Um, because it's normally my coaches, like they're, we're, and I are normally focusing on the swim or the run. And so it was very much an opportunity. And then I think like the biggest thing for me is that like when I race, I'm really, yes, I would love to finish well, but at the end of the day, my aim, I know that will happen if I execute the best race that I can on that given day. And so, um, I really, I just stick to execution and trying to ride the best I can. And so like in Dallas, I had, I was well below my power number targets, 
but that was due to the heat. And I was looking at my heart rate kind of for reference. And um, that was still a little high, but like I knew the heat was going to impact that. And so it's kind of more, I'm cognizant and I'm unaware of where the other riders are on the course, but I don't really, I, in a 7.3 or longer race, I don't try, I try not to let them influence me one way or the other because it's a long race. I mean, it, anything can happen and I'm just trying to get to the finish line as quickly as possible. And that's comes from executing the best race I can and staying within what I can do. Right. So you don't really have that mindset of like, oh, I'm just going to try and bury everyone on the bike. It's more about, you know, these are my numbers. This is what I know I'm capable of. I'm just going to try and like ride as close to that as possible. And and if I do that, I should have a pretty good, like pretty good outcome. Yes. Um, but I think it's not like for riding, like Texas was very much more numbers-based thing. Um, but if you think about it, like the fastest way to ride certain courses um, might not be, or it's actually not laying out the same power for the whole course. Um, And so using that, I think that's where it probably helps me coming from the short course background, because like I can go a little above threshold and recover from that. Um, If there is a steeper section and, or a slower section on the course, that's where you want to apply a little bit more power. And so um, I have a little bit, probably more variance. Maybe that hurts my run, but I've also, I've been spending years trying to learn how to run off the bike with tired legs. So it's kind of, I've invested a lot of time into that. So I'm not scared of riding a little bit above what I may be prescribed. And then like, because you're trying to like, like I assume this is me assuming I probably shouldn't have done this, but I assume you're trying to win the Olympic games. Like that's a big goal of yours, but you're probably also trying to win, you know, Ironman 70.3 world championships and, and races like that. Um, which is where you're a little different to a lot of the girls you're racing in both distances. Like there's not many people trying to win both of those, those races. Um, how do you, when you're doing like those 20 hour riding weeks or like you're doing four to five long rides per week and, and heaps of them have like volume and, and quality in them. Are you like doing all of them on your time trial bike? Because you're like, well, that's where I'm going to really need my bike. Or are you doing most of them on your, on your road bike? Because you actually, um, are, are targeting like the Olympics and WTCS races like a, a little bit more like you think that of them as a little bit more important than your long course races how do you how do you do that well so actually um so I will note like this this summer was an exception I don't normally do that much riding um <laughs> let alone that many long rides or longer rides within a week um my riding's fairly tame normally but actually this summer I was so I was kind of grateful in the timing of it because I had both my road bike and my TT bike. So I pretty much um, alternated them each day. And I knew that because I use the same saddlebag. I just like it so much. And so I would switch it off every time. And I knew that I was pretty much switching it off every single day. But I think that because there was a slightly different position, I could, like, it just uses slightly different muscles if you're in the TT bars versus on your road bike. My fit's just a little bit different. Um, And I think that's what allowed my body to cope with the amount of volume and intensity that I did. Um, But definitely the days, some days my coach would say like choice bike, but some days were specific to a given bike. Um, And so that's, that's always noted in training peaks. And it kind of, it, if it is, it really reflects the sessions. Like some, I could really do both, but some are geared towards one style of racing or the other. And then my coach will note, please like make sure you ride this bike or the other bike. So it works. And I also do have a gravel bike, which I really like. Um, and I, I had that built up without a power meter because I just enjoy that's like, I'll go on easy rides on that. I I do sometimes like general endurance rides on that, but that's more for just enjoying riding, being a human and (laughs) like taking advantage of what Boulder has to offer. So um, maybe that'll change in the future, but I think that that's like, it's not a really critical component of my training, but it kind of is in that it's just a change of scenery. And I, there are days that I don't use a power meter specifically like for that break and then like with the with the difference in sessions between the road bike and the time trial bike what would be like what would be a typical session where it's like well this is clearly a road bike session versus what would be a typical session that's like well this is clearly like a time trial bike session well I think it's also so sometimes my coach will also didn't like lay out the route that I'm supposed to go um 
And so if it's a flat ride with longer intervals, like the longer intervals, I think tend to be on the TT bike and then the higher intensity, shorter intervals tend to be on the road bike. But then when there's a mix, I normally have a choice between the two. Um, and then it's kind of just what route I want to take, but I climb on my TT bike, I go on flats on my road bike and vice versa. So it just, it's all there. And a few specific questions around these sessions on your bikes, right? Like, so on the, on the road bike or on the TT bike, like, are you doing hill reps very often? And if you are, how do they vary depending on like the bike? Like for example, are you doing like shorter, faster hill reps on your road bike and then like longer in your TT bars, like hill reps on, on your TT bike or like, um, and, and then like inside of that, a lot of people, particularly female triathletes, I reckon for some reason, I, I'm not quite sure why it's in like, it's, it's so much more prevalent in female riding, but they, they seem to do a lot of big gear efforts on their TT bike and then not so much on their, on their road bike. Is that the same for you as well? Um, well, I, so if I'll do the big gear efforts first, I really don't have, um, any big gear efforts. I think that's kind of, that's my default. That's like more of my comfort zone. And so with the short course racing, I don't really want to change that. And, um, or like, I don't want to ingrain that too much further. And so I do probably, I do probably have a little bit of higher cadence than someone who just races 70.3s or Ironmans, um, just because I want that for short course racing. And I do have the same, um, cranks on both my, I ride a 5239 on both my road and my TT bike at the moment, just so then they're pretty identical. Um, we don't really do specific, sometimes we'll do specific hill reps of like from a distance to a distance. And so that, that's kind of what I think of as a hill rep. But um, it's more of like a longer sustained climb. And so our recoveries are on the climb. And so we might climb a canyon. And then, um, but like some of the recoveries, you continue to climb. And then at a certain point, you might descend and then do more intervals after that. So yes, we utilize the wonderful roads in Boulder. Um, But actually one day this summer, my coach, and I hadn't ridden this, I hadn't ridden, I don't know how well you know Boulder, but one of the climbs is Flagstaff and I hadn't been there in probably like three years. And my coach just said, okay, start at this point and get up to that point as fast as you can. And I'm like, whoa, this is not what we normally do. Um, I have no idea how long this effort is. I have no idea how I'm supposed to pace that give there. So that was kind of um, very intimidating, but it's always a great learning experience because you just kind of get to pull it put it all out there. And then I want to I want to talk about your swimming a little bit because this is the like this is what makes you such a dangerous triathlete I reckon is the fact that you can be at the front of the swim and then and then use your your bike as a weapon. Have you always been a good swimmer or has it been something you've had to work on and and yeah like similar to what we've been talking about with your ride and run what do your what do your typical swim weeks look like? So actually I was when I was a junior racing um so I raced like junior roles all four years that I could the swim wasn't really like as much of an issue for me and then I don't know if it was a combination of like moving up to the elite ranks or going off to college and leaving my swim program that I had but my swim really started to suffer and I just um I guess my swim program had been like we weren't super high volume but like I had put in I put in decent swim weeks when I was growing up and that's that was the the base of my training and like through high school was very much the swim. And so that would dominate my training. Everything was working around that. Um, and so I've had to definitely work to like, I, I had one-offs every once in a while, like in Edmonton, 2017, when I was on the podium, that was very much because I was out within the swim lead swim group but then you'll see like other races within the 2017, 2018, 2019 period where I was really off the mark. Um, and so I don't know, there were, there were just a number of factors. Um, so yes, it's definitely like, it's, I think it was more frustrating to me because my coaches knew and I knew that I had the ability to be swimming better based on both what I had done previously and the training that I was putting in, but it wasn't, translating into racing at the moment. Um, and then in Yokohama last year with, um, 
it was kind of one of the first races where I was really in a great position on the swim in a long time. And so I think that definitely set up the race, but, um, I'm definitely always working on it. Yeah. So what does a, what does a typical training week in the pool look like for you at the moment? So awesome. Six days, Mondays and Fridays are recovery. Tuesdays a little bit easier, but aerobic, um, Wednesday and Saturday are quality sessions. And then, um, Thursday's a bit longer aerobic. Um, so it's just, it's, it's actually probably the least swimming I've done in my life and the most consistent I've been in what I need to do. So, um, I really enjoy the sessions and the group that I have. We, um, my coach allows like some other triathletes who are in Boulder to join us on occasion. And the swim group's just really solid and really good. And I love the time in the pool now. How, how like for the, for those swims, what's like a typical um, session volume for you? Do, are your sessions, even though you're doing like, maybe you're not doing as much as you were in the past, are they, are they still pretty big like sessions? Like how many, how many K or, or I don't know, you're probably yards over there. How many, how many yards are you doing sort of in a typical session um, day to day? Oh, well, yeah. So it's probably, we some probably like 20, 2k per week so not a ton um and like this quality sessions can be anywhere from about like they'll be as low as 4,000 yards as high as a little over six um so really varies because we do what we need to do and then we get out and we're done we don't need to fill in because there will be not only another session that day but um the next day and the next day and the next day it's kind of not hero workouts but um, so there's a huge variation. I mean, actually last year, last year, there was a day where I looked at the workout and I thought that there had been a typo because it was like 6,600 yards. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like we don't do that anymore. Like, I think it's only one round of that set, not two. And I was hoping it was one round, not two, <laughs> but no, there were two rounds. Um, so I was a bit shocked, but we can handle it and we do it when we need to, but we don't just, like the aim of a session isn't just to hit X amount of yards and X amount of time. Um, it We aim to hit the density of intensity as my coach says it. And that's what we do. And then you said at the start of the chat that you're like, you, you, you don't typically respond too well to, to doing really high intensity stuff that like it tends to fatigue you a little bit. And, and like, so you found your, your sweet spot of, of training is like doing a lot of just like under um, threshold work or like right around tempo threshold sort of work and, and lots of it. Is that the same in the swim as well? Or is the swim an exception where you do do like um, lots of high intensity swimming or yeah, is it like the other two where it's more um, that sort of thresholdy work more often than not? Well, yeah. So everything, everything we do is kind of like it. So sometimes it'll be sprint. Sometimes it'll be fast. Um, and sometimes we'll just be, it'll be like 1500 meter race pace, but 1500 meter race pace is a very big range. If anyone who's been in our swim knows, um, so it's kind of subjective, not objective. Um, but it's, so yes, we will do probably that's, we do a lot more intensity, but it's also, we probably don't do more than 2k of quality within a session most of the time. And cause we have, we have a great warm up and then a preset and then um, we'll be ready for the main set. Um, so it's, we have a little bit less time under load than a biker run workout. And so, yes, we do probably a little bit more intensity, but it's also, it's also kind of required for, the short course racing because the start is so um the start speed so crucial and what's your favorite swim workout oof i love yeah well i love hundreds on short rest um but that's just me because <laughs> that's and and a decent amount of them probably more than we do in our session anymore but like i kind of my favorite swim workouts are definitely from my swimming days but like now that's, this is what I need to do. And this is how I swim better. So how many are we talking? If you could design your perfect session, how many hundreds would it be? And what would you come in on? And what would the rest be? Oh, it depends. Well, so are we at altitude? What pool are we in? <laughs> you um, tell what me. What time of year is it? <laughs> it's your <What>? session. <laughs> you design it for me. <laughs> oh, well, I, I, I probably do like the t standard, like my swim club growing up, we loved the 3100s. There was like, and, and, and the coaches would normally break it down. Um, so we might do like 
two fast, one easy, or like five fast, one easy, and just repeat that to, for 30. Um, but so like, actually one of the first days that I was like, after I got diagnosed with my injury, my coach let me like do a choice swim. That was quality. And I chose to do, it was 3,100s, um, as eight, like at like around 1500 meter race pace too easy times three. And I just did them on 115. So and aiming to come in and like at 103, 104 ish. So nothing really like, wow, just kind of like, I walked out of that workout feeling like I could have done it one or two more times plus. So it's just kind of do what you like, cause it's, it's not the most training that you can do. It's the most training that you can adapt from. And so I know that there's another session coming that day or the next, and I don't want to bury myself because I'm very good at burying myself. So I always need to <laughs> hold myself back. And then what are you training for at the moment? Is your, what's your big goal for the rest of the year? Because um, like, I wish it was 70.3 world championships, but is it, or is there a short course race that you're targeting more than that? Um, I'm just trying to race as much as I can this year. Um, now that I'm back, I've missed a lot of racing. And so I'm hoping to be able to do the remaining three WTS races and 70.3 worlds, but we'll see if 70.3 worlds fits within that mix. Um, because the focus really are the WTS races. And so, um, Cagliari is October 8th. Bermuda is beginning of November and then the grand final in Abu Dhabi is November 25th. But the nice thing is that they're now all Olympics remaining. So um, that will be the focus. And then like if, so your big next focus is like everything in, in your, in your training and your life is all like focused towards ultimately trying to win an Olympic gold medal. Um, and like, if you, let's say hypothetically that happens, would you, do you think that you would then go, all right, now it's time to win Kona or, or how do you, how do you see it in an ideal world, how it might play out? Well, so what, what year are we talking about? Mm. Um, because that makes a big difference. Well, probably, probably just the next, the next Olympic cycle, I reckon. Well, then, um, you have to also recognize that. So like 2028, the Olympics are in LA. And so I would love to be there. I will be 30 at that point. It's a home Olympics. Um, and you don't get that very, I don't, a lot of athletes don't get that in their career if they're even fortunate enough to make the Olympics, let alone have one at home. So LA will be hopefully a focus of mine, but you never know what can happen in the next few years. Um, and then who knows after that, because like the Olympics are very addicting and it's a, it's such a incredible event and incredible process. But at the same time, the sport is changing so much and these pto races are absolutely incredible um there's for the first time i think like the wts racing is so much fun at least for me because there's so many competitive athletes on each start line and you know that you're racing the best in the world every time and so that's that's fun because if you're like it brings out the best in you and it forces you, you, you can't show any weakness. It's great. It holds you accountable and it's just fun racing. And so for the first time ever, I think the middle distance has that too with these PTO races. So um, I, I don't know what I'll choose to do in two years. I mean, if you had told me two years ago that I would have raced the 70.3 at this time, I would have been like, wow, you're, I'm shocked. What happened? Did I not go to Tokyo? Am I never doing short course again? Um, so I'm shocked that I'm able to balance the two and a lot can change in a short period of time. So who knows? And then like, does, does seeing what people like Christian um, Blumenfeld and Gustav Eden are doing, does that have any impact on, on you? Cause I sort of look at you as the one person in in female triathlon who is similar to them, where you can very easily go and win a short course race and compete at the the front of um, like the Olympic Games, but then probably go on and 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 win the Ironman World Championships when you're like 26, 27. Do you do you think about that and see that and and does it motivate you to try and do the same things? Well, so I want to clarify: it is never easy to win a short course race. It's never really easy to win any race, period. But especially like a WTS race, never easy. Um, but so, um, it's but yes, they definitely. It's fun to see them. I think just do things their own way, and that's I think more not necessarily like what they're doing is very admirable, but I also think how they're doing it is very impressive, and it's fun to see because 
I think the sport, it's how the sport used to be. I mean, think Mark Allen won a short course title and the Ironman World Championships. Same with, I think, Karen Smyer won them in the same year. Or maybe it's not Karen Smyers. Some woman won them in the same year. And that doesn't happen anymore, but it has happened. Um, so I think now it's kind of been the, you go to short course and then long course, if you're going to do that path. Um, and so I don't think that there's, there's no rule book to how you do your triathlon career if you're fortunate to have one. And so I like that people are charting their own courses and doing what they want to do and what's best for them. And then like, I, I guess what I'm sort of, um, most curious about is have you and your coach talked about Kona at all? Like you said earlier in the chat, how you are hoping to go longer. And, and I sort of, I don't know, I struggle to see a world where your best distance doesn't end up being Ironman with the, with the way you race, um, particularly with your, with your swim and your bike. And, and I like, I don't know, I just see it like as being something that you could, you could start to like dominate in sooner rather than later. Do you ever think about that and go like, do you think about that, that Kona might be where you actually do your best racing and all that distance might be where you do your best racing or are you just so like focused on what you're doing now and what you want to achieve now in Olympics and, you know, with a little bit of 70.3? Well, I've, I've definitely always been interested in the full iron distance. Um, I don't know. I can't, I don't know if my coach and I have formally talked about it, but I don't, I think that's more because he just knows um, if you talk to my swim coach, from when I was in high school. So probably like six, eight years ago, like he knew he's like, well, you know, Taylor, like at the end of the day, you're going to be the longer, the better for you. Um, so I'm like, well, thanks because the longest distance in the pool was a 1650 at the time or 1500 meters, um, given the, depending on the season. So yes, I hope so. But at the end of the day, it's also, um, can I cope with the training? Do I want to do that type of training? And Will it be best for the longevity of my career as well as like, I think there are, I've never experienced Kona, but having looked at the history um, for some athletes, it can be really tough to perform there. And so, yes, I'd love to go there at some point, but like, I just don't know, like, I feel like you need a few years there or like, you just never know what's going to happen at that distance. And then just to finish up, like outside of this, Outside of your specific triathlon training, of which you do a lot, is there any other things you do to like get the most out of yourself? Are you someone who is obsessed with other areas of like performance, whether it be like sleep or diet or recovery or socializing or, you know, getting away from the sport, whatever it is that's your thing. Do you have, do you have other things that you think are like super important to making you the best triathlete you can be? Well, yes, um, definitely, because we do not train every hour of the day, thankfully. Um, I definitely prioritize sleep, and I love my sleep. But I, I also think that, like, obsessing is probably – that would be fairly easy to me. I could obsess about absolutely everything, trying to control everything. But I think that in order to be the most successful I can on the race course, that would just be too draining. Um, I could be – I could stress myself – out all the time for absolutely no purpose. And so that's why it's really good for me to distract myself from the sport. Um, I read a fair amount and I, I really enjoy that because it relaxes me. I try to have at least one fiction and one nonfiction book going at all times. So then I have like two different options to choose from, depending on if I'm in a mood where I'm like, oh, I'd actually like to learn something today. Or if I'm just like, I just really need the distraction of whatever fiction book I'm reading. So yes, I have like but at the same time, I'm also still learning. I'm about two years out of college where that was very easy for me to turn sport off because I had so much else going on in my life. And with going, having graduated from college, I feel like it really allowed me to improve drastically and gain a consistency in my training and racing that I hadn't previously had. But at the same time, I'm definitely still learning how to balance and best spend the time outside of training to set myself up best for the time that I am training and racing. Okay. And just with based off what you've said then, my official last question, Harry Potter, yes or no? Oh, I read it. Um, but not not recently. Uh, so but like am I a fan or not? Like I thought they were I enjoyed the books, but I couldn't tell you when I read them. It was a very long time ago. Yeah, right. Because I'm reading Harry Potter right now. Big, big yes from me. 
Oh, wow. Well, good. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks so much for coming on, uh, Taylor. Like I've, if I haven't made it, made it clear enough throughout this chat, I'm a massive fan. I just think, I think that you are probably the, like, if not the best triathlete on, on, on earth right now, you're, you're definitely the top three for me um, with Daniela Reef and, and maybe like a, a you know a Flora Duffy type. That's that's sort of where I see you. And like I'm so excited to watch the rest of your career. Like I just yeah, I think if there's anyone on on the earth right now in in female triathlon who's going to go on and you know dominate the sport in the same way way that a Daniela has, for example, I think it, in my mind it's you. So yeah, I've, I've been excited to have this chat for a, a long time and and see what what makes you so good. So it was um yeah, it was great insight, heaps of fun and I like I can't thank you enough and yeah, I'm, I'm really just keen to keen to watch your journey from from here and see what you do, what you do. Well, thank you and thank you so much for having me on your podcast. My pleasure. Have a good uh, have a good rest of your day, Taylor, uh, and I'll I'll chat to you soon. You too. This episode was brought to you by Pillar Performance. Like I said, I use Pillar Performance products daily now and I love them. So if you want to try them for yourself, or you just want to restock if you already use them, head to pillarperformance.shop and remember that while you're there, use my code HTT10, which gets you $10 off your first order. That's code HTT10, which gets you $10 off your first order.